So, as usual, we'll start the Dhamma talk with the Namotasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. So today it's our last day of Metta meditation practice. We have now practiced it for one week. Tomorrow we will switch to the practice of Vipassana meditation. But we will keep the metta practice integrated in our practice of the Dhamma. So in this talk tonight, I want to highlight yet another aspect of the many aspects of metta, loving-kindness. Namely the aspect of its altruistic nature or the aspect of Selfless caring. So the title of this talk is Metta, the beauty of selfless caring. In the Metta Sutta, we have these following words, and you know we have been chanting the Metta Sutta in English almost every day. Um, it says, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. So the Buddha used the image of a mother's love for her only child. Well, I think this applies to every child a mother, a mother has, to all of her children. And the Buddha said that a mother would risk her own life in order to protect um, her child. And so with this he points to an unconditional love. He points out this kind of selfless caring for another being. So this attitude of unconditional love or of selfless caring, this is a purely altruistic attitude. It's the genuine wish for the happiness and welfare of the child or another person or all living beings. It means that one stands back and puts the needs or the happiness of another person or another being before one's own uh, own need. So this image of a mother's love for her child, this 
is a worldly example and this is easily understood by everybody. It's nothing complicated and it does not need a very deep understanding whether it's an, a deep intellectual understanding or a deep spiritual understanding. Everybody can relate to this image. <coughs> Maybe you remember the terrorist attack in Paris which happened in November of 2015 when in a music hall Bataclan um, nearly 100 people uh, were killed, were shot. And so among the many people who have died there was a 35-year-old mother who attended the concert with her five-year-old son. And as the shooting started, she threw herself over her son to protect him with her body. She was hit by a bullet and died, but her son survived. He wasn't injured at all. So with this image, the Buddha wants to convey the message that a mother usually really cares for her child. She wants the best for her child. She does so much for the child. She goes out of her way to provide the child with food, with clothes, with a good education. However, this does not say that fathers do not equally care for their children, that they do not equally go out of their way to extend their love and care for their children. Metta, in this sense, is an altruistic state of the heart and mind. And likewise are the Otabrahma Viharas, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, also um, altruistic states of heart and mind. Patrul Rinpoche was an influential teacher and monk in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and he lived in the 19th century. And in regard to the four boundless states, the Brahma Viharas, he had said the four boundless qualities cannot fail to cause us to develop genuine bodhicitta. It is therefore vital to cultivate them until they have truly taken root in us. You may know that in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition they talk a lot about bodhicitta. The word bodhicitta literally means the awakened mind or the enlightened mind. And the way this word is usually referred to 
it's to the attitude of becoming fully awakened, to becoming fully liberated for the benefit of all living beings. So the point, or their point is, that we do not strive to become liberated or enlightened only for our own benefit, but that we engage in the practice of liberation for the benefit of all living beings. And sometimes the teachers or the people from the Mahayana tradition reproach the Theravada tradition that they are selfish because they only strive to attain liberation for their own benefit and not for the benefit of all beings. And this is why they call the tradition from the southern countries Hinayana, you know, the southern Buddhist countries such as Thailand, Burma, or Sri Lanka. So they call it Hinayana, which means the lesser vehicle. And the northern tradition, Tibet, China, uh, Korea, and so on, that's the Mahayana, which means the great vehicle. (laughs) (coughs) But of course, this classification classification has no valid base. We only need to look at some of the early discourses of the Buddha to see that this altruistic attitude or bodhicitta was a cornerstone of the Buddha's teaching right from the very beginning. Once the Buddha started teaching after his enlightenment, many of his disciples became fully liberated. Many of them became arahants in quite a short time. So when the Buddha had 60 disciples who had become arahants, who had attained complete liberation, He told them to go out into the world and share the Dhamma. And I think it's very important to acknowledge that he did not tell them to be satisfied with their attainment and now sit back back and relax for the rest (laughs) of their lives. On the contrary, the Buddha kicked them out. (laughs) He told them to go out into the world and spread the Dhamma. And it is said that this already happened, that this already happened after the Buddha had only given two discourses. So very early into his um, time of teaching the Dhamma. So anyway, this is what the Buddha told his disciples. One the fourth, O bhikkhus, 
O monks, for the welfare of the multitude, for the happiness of the multitude, out of compassion for the world, for the good, welfare and happiness of devas and humans. Let not two go the same way. Teach the Dhamma that is good in the beginning, <coughs> good in the middle, good in the end, with the right meaning and phrasing. Reveal the perfectly complete, purified, holy life. There are beings with little dust in their eyes who are falling away because they do not hear the Dhamma. There will be those who will understand the Dhamma. I too will go to Sena Nigama in Uruvela in order to teach the Dhamma. Or here is another example from another Sutta discourse found in the Majjhima Nikaya, where the Buddha had said, and he speaks of a practitioner or a monk, but can be any practitioner, male or female. He does not occupy his mind with self-affliction or the affliction of others or the affliction of both. He sits with his mind set on his own welfare, on the welfare of others and on the welfare of both, even on the welfare of the whole world. So really, reaching out for the whole world. And lastly, one more example that makes very clear that we can own, that we only can be truly helpful to others when we do the work of purification ourselves. This is from a sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya. The Buddha had said, And how does a person live both for his own good and for the good of others? He himself practices for the removal of lust, hatred and delusion and also encourages others to do so. So these passages from the discourses make it very clear that the Buddha was always very intent to, to do this purification of the heart and mind for the benefit of all living beings, that to become enlightened or liberated is for the welfare or for the sake of everybody, all beings. So now let's come back to the quality of metta with its altruistic aspect or the aspect of selfless caring. Acts of selfless caring are beautiful and noble. They are very touching and also inspiring. 
because they manifest an open heart, a purified mind. And these acts of selfless caring, they can also encourage us to emulate these selfless and caring behavior of another person. Many, many, many years ago, when I was young, or at least younger than I am now, I was traveling in Ireland as a backpacker. And I hitchhiked all over Ireland and so got around. And one day a man gave me a lift to Dublin. He not only gave me this lift to Dublin, but on the way he stopped at a couple of old castles to show me these castles and he also stopped for lunch and invited me for lunch. And so in the afternoon when we got to Dublin and he dropped me at the place, I got out, took my backpack and I went up to him and wanted to say thank you for his kindness. But before I could even start to talk, he just put his finger in front of his mouth like this and said, I know that someday you will give some you will give it you will give it to somebody else. And with this he turned around, went on into his car and drove off. And so I was left there, speechless. <laughs> so much goodness. And he did it without expecting anything in return. It really deeply touched me. And ever since then, I tried, and I'm still trying, to spread this kindness of selfless caring for others. There is such beauty in an act of selfless caring. There is so much beauty in a metta-infused act. A heart full of metta radiates the kindness from within and it lightens up the heart and mind of others who are present. So it definitely has a strong impact on all beings who are present. We know from our own experience how beautiful and joyous it feels when the heart is full of metta and when we care for somebody else. And we also know from our own experience how beautiful and comforting it is when somebody else cares for us. Achan Munindo is a senior monk in the tradition of Achan Cha and he 
is the abbot of the Aruna Ratnagiri Monastery in England. He says that receiving the selfless care of somebody else is like nourishment. It's like being nourished. So in his own words, he says, Similarly, the feeling of being cared for is a truly wonderful thing. To receive caring from another is like receiving warmth when we are cold, or like receiving food when we are hungry. It is a type of nourishment, and it is an essential nourishment. I find it very helpful to, to reflect um, from time to time how I care for others and how it feels when I'm cared for by another person. So for example, I ask myself, am I fully present when I care for somebody else? You know, in the past four years, I have been caring for my dad, who suffers from Alzheimer dementia. So, for altogether about for altogether uh, about six months of the year, I have been caring for him. And so, when I ask myself these questions, am I really fully present? when I care for my dad, when I do something with him, for him. And sometimes I had to admit, no, um, my mind is off somewhere else, or half-heartedly with my father and half of the mind already thinking what I should cook for lunch. <laughs> mm. Or else, when somebody else cares for me, do I really appreciate the care that somebody else gives to me? Or how do I feel when I notice that the other person is absent-minded while she offers me, let's say, a massage, or while she checks a message on her mobile phone while I'm talking to her. So I've come to see that it definitely feels much nicer when the other person is fully present with me. Then I feel nourished and at ease. Then I feel held and understood. And so this brings a sense of well-being and contentment. So then this makes my, my mind happy and glad. <coughs> so when we want to become uh, completely liberated 
liberated from greed, hatred, delusion. It's important that we develop understanding and wisdom. But it is equally important that we also develop compassion and kindness. The path to complete liberation includes wisdom and compassion, or it includes understanding and kindness. Wisdom or understanding and compassion and kindness, they are like the two wings of a bird. A bird can only fly when it has two wings. So therefore, we should understand that the path to complete liberation does not only consist of formal meditation practice, but that it includes many other aspects of training the heart and mind. But unfortunately, people easily forget, or they even don't know, that the practice of the Dhamma involves so much more than just sitting still on the cushion. Achancha was a very famous and well-known monk and meditation teacher in Thailand. He was part of the uh, forest tradition. And Achan Cha was well known for his unfailing recognition of what a monk or a meditator needed to proceed on the way to liberation. And so here uh, is the story of what he advised a young monk to do. And it was not exactly what the young monk had imagined to be good for his practice, but later on this young monk realized how good and beneficial Achan Cha's advice had been. So this is the story. One young monk who arrived at Achan Cha's monastery had previously been acquainted only with monasteries where solitary meditation was emphasized. When this monk was invited to take up upatak duties, which means attending to the teacher, so when this monk was invited to take up upatak duties, which in effect meant waiting on the teacher, that didn't immediately appeal to him. He was thinking, why can't the abbot look why can't the abbot look after himself? Why does he need someone else to take care of him? He is not old. He can do it by himself. It was only after some time that the young monk came to see for himself the point 
of consciously caring for another. So in regard to this selfless caring, I want to say a few words about the difference and the common ground of the practices of metta meditation and vipassana meditation. So how can and should we understand this expression of selfless caring? practice of metta meditation is, as you know, a relational practice. It deals with the relation we have to other people, to other living beings. And usually when we think of other people, of other beings, we put them into different categories. So we have our friends, our beloved ones, our enemies, or people I really do care for, or people I dislike, or strangers, or my family, and so on. As I've said, with the practice of metta meditation, we stay on the relative level. We stay on the conventional level where we speak of living beings, humans, devas, animals, and so on. We do not practice metta meditation on the absolute level where we deal with absolute realities like lama and rupa, mind and matter, or where we deal with Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta, impermanence, suffering or unsatisfactoriness and not-self or impersonality. So when we practice metta meditation, we use these concepts of living beings, of humans, of animals and so on, but the danger in using these concepts is the separation it creates. The separation between me and others or the separation between me and a stranger, me and my friend, me and a neutral person. And so these words or these concepts, they can create a barrier between me, I am here, and the others. And the deluded mind, the ego, is conditioned to first of all care for me, for myself, to care for my needs, for my well-being or for my success to care
prepare for my good health. But then, as we can notice and as we can experience, through the practice of metta meditation, the barrier between barriers between me and others gradually start to melt away, and eventually these barriers uh, dissolve or disappear completely. So when our metta, loving-kindness, benevolence, has become really powerful and strong, then there is no longer a distinction between me and others, me and my friend, or me and the disliked person. What remains is just this quality of loving-kindness, of metta, which flows limitlessly, boundlessly. And so, in this way, the sense of self, of me, dissolves, and with that the understanding of anatta, not self, starts to emerge. The practice of vipassana meditation aims at the deep and liberating understanding of everything that exists. It aims at developing that kind of wisdom and understanding that overcomes all forms of dukkha, all forms of dissatisfaction and suffering. And so, in order to understand all existing phenomena, the processes in body and mind need to be observed, and they need to be thoroughly understood, not only on a superficial or conventional level, but on a very deep level. On um, We need to see absolute reality. So, Vipassana meditation penetrates into absolute reality. It sees and understands what really exists on the absolute level. And so, among the many things that we discover and come to understand in the Vipassana meditation practice are, for example, the three general characteristics, the anicca, dukkha, and anatta, the impersonal, sorry, the impermanent nature of all conditioned phenomena, the dukkha nature, dissatisfaction, suffering, and anatta, the not-self nature, or impersonal nature of everything. So, anatta means that there is no self or everlasting entity to be, find, to be found in these processes in the body 
and the mind. So this lack of a substantial and inherently existing self is exposed through the understanding we gain through the practice of vipassana meditation. And so <coughs> in this sense, or in this way, the sense of self disappears and the understanding of not-self, of anatta, then emerges. So as we can see, the practices of both metta meditation and vipassana meditation, they lead to the same understanding, namely the understanding that there is no inherently existing self, that there is no atta. So this understanding of not-self, anatta, this leads to the natural ability to tune into the needs of others, to help others, to relieve the suffering of others. And so also with the practice of vipassana meditation, as we come to understand anatta or not-self, so also in this way the barriers between me and others um, are torn down. And having torn down these barriers, then we feel connected to each other. We feel connected to basically every living being. And so with no more concepts of me and others, we no longer need to exclusively, exclusively care for ourselves only. And once we start to see this anatta nature, the not-self nature, um, it is so liberating because then we are no longer so much slaves of the me or the ego or the self, which sometimes can be like a dictator. <laughs> as long as we are slave of the self or the notion of the self, it's always like the self needs to have this or that in order to be happy. The self needs to have a cup of cappuccino to be happy. Mm -hmm. Or the self needs to have the kitchen floor mopped in a certain way so that it can be satisfied and contented. Or even it can, the ego can be very smart and um, 
give the seat in the past to an elderly lady, but then, you know, wanting everybody around know how good I am in being selfless and um, helpful to others. <coughs> so when we <coughs> become free from the slavery of the self or the ego, then we can truly care for others. Only then are we free and unbiased to tune into the needs of others. As long as the self or the ego is strong and as long as it needs to defend its position against others, it will never be able to selflessly care for others. The corrupted self only helps others in order to aggrandize itself, to make others know how selfless the ego, the self is. So there is a rare beauty to be, find, to be found in the ability to selflessly care for others, to tune into the needs of others. And the heart full of metta is the base from which this selfless caring for others arises. The following truth story illustrates this noble behavior of selfless caring. An Indonesian woman had lost her husband because of a young man's reckless driving. She decided not to take legal action against the driver because she did not want to cause unhappiness and suffering to someone else. On the contrary, she even gave a scholarship for the education of that young man. So this Indonesian woman um, truly embodied this rare beauty to selflessly care for somebody else. Although she must have greatly suffered from the loss of her husband, but she did not drown in her own suffering. Her heart was still open and she clearly realized the extent of the suffering this young man would go through if she would take legal action against him. He probably would have been sentenced and thrown into prison. So she understood that adding more suffering was of no benefit for anybody. So what the young man needed most was a good education so that later on he would, he would be able to care for himself and his family. Our ability to laugh and care must be boundless. And so we have to train it repeatedly. So we should cultivate it every day 
and we should apply it whenever it is possible. And this selfless caring begins with a thought in the mind, a meta-thought. And a single meta-thought may not seem to be important. But however, this is not true. The Buddha had said that just one moment of dwelling in metta is more beneficial than offering 100 pots of rice three times a day, which at the Buddha's time would have been a huge dana, something only a millionaire could have done. So we should never underestimate a heart and mind that is free from anger and aversion. So we should never underestimate the power of a heart and mind that is full of metta, full of unconditional love, of friendliness and of benevolence. The 17th Karmapa, he is the head of the Karma Kagyu lineage in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. He says that a loving thought is both simple and expansive. He says, being alive in the world and holding love in my heart can be an expression of my caring for others. Even that can be significant. I nourish this small thought. Or maybe it's not small, but it is simple. Very simple on the one hand, but on the other hand, vast and expensive. So whatever we want to call it, metta or an altruistic attitude or selfless caring, there is a tremendous power in this quality of the heart and mind. It conduces to peace and harmony, to love and unity. Whenever we dwell with a heart and mind full of metta, it sets free energies which can work wonders. You know, a little wonder like in the case of the Indonesian woman, or like the story of the Swiss woman whose husband was shot, that I told in a previous talk. So whenever an action of body and speech is infused with metta, then another person benefits on many levels. It can be on a physical level, or a mental level, or an emotional level. And as much as another person, another being, benefits from our selfless caring, we ourselves benefit as well. Actually, 
we ourselves benefit as much as the other person, if not more. You know, such an act of selfless caring, a meta-infused act, is wholesome karma with that we create for ourselves, which in turn will give um, effect to some wholesome results. So not only do we create wholesome karma for ourselves, but such meta-infused actions, such altruistic actions, they bring so much joy and happiness into our life. So we feel elated and happy or contented. And actually, with an altruistic attitude, we create a win-win situation. Everybody involved wins. Everybody involved benefits. There are no losers. Selfless caring, in the sense of metta, brings a rare beauty into this world. A beauty that is priceless. A beauty that cannot be bought. And on top of this, it is a treasure that cannot be destroyed. Let's sit quietly for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.